Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture, ready to start a new week. Hope you had a good weekend. Thanks for joining us and letting us be part of your day. Back home after being in New Orleans last week for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, and want to thank NCBA uh, for honoring me with their Ag Journalism Award. Really appreciate it. And uh, had a good time at the convention, talking with a lot of uh, folks from the cattle industry around the country. Hope you enjoyed our broadcast last week. Uh, actually be in studio all this week, then back on the road next week. Next Tuesday and Wednesday, we'll be in Orlando for the National Ethanol Conference. Here today, we are going to be talking about a number of things, including the weather with DTM meteorologist Mike Palmerino sitting in for Bryce Anderson today. We're going to get a Washington update, lots of things to talk about with Iowa Senator Charles Grassley, and plenty of soybean news after the talks last week with China. We'll talk with the CEO of the American Soybean Association, Ryan Finley. All that coming up on today's show, but we start things off with Spencer Chase from AgriPulse Communications. Saw him last week in New Orleans at the National Cattlemen's Beef Association Convention. Spencer, thanks for joining us. Who would have thought yesterday during the Super Bowl that uh, a war would break out between the, the corn industry and uh, and uh, a beer company? But you know, over over an ad on the Super Bowl. A couple of beer companies, Mike. I I, I wasn't expecting that to to be certain, but uh, obviously uh, I I wasn't really anticipating that I was going to need to go to work during the Super Bowl last night. But uh, such is the business <laughs> you and I have chosen to chosen to do. As soon as I saw the ad with Bud Light talking about not having uh, you know high fructose corn syrup. I immediately started checking Twitter because I knew it was going to light up, and it sure did. Yep, I did the same thing. I did the exact same thing, and I, I posted a, a joke on my on my personal account, just uh, sort of amusing about why I hadn't received an angry press release quite yet, and that's because uh, they were sending them out via Twitter and not via via the email account. Lots of lots of angry reaction to that uh, to that messaging last night. And of course, to make it even more kind of ironic, I guess, is you have you know. Anheuser-Busch there in St. Louis, as well as the National Corn Growers right there in St. Louis. Yeah, they can, uh, you know, wave, uh, you know, hold up angry signs to each other. And this morning, uh, they can probably see them from each other's windows. <laughs> yeah. Well, that made you had to be awake during the Super Bowl to catch that. <laughs> and it was kind of hard at times to stay awake during that Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, even even if you're a person that really loves defensive football, I, I, I don't know if that was a good one for you. But, I mean, to each yeah. their own. It wasn't my style of game, but I'm sure people still watched. An ironic end to the uh, so-called season of uh, offense and the, and the death of defense in the NFL. I guess that hasn't quite happened yet. Those uh, headlines maybe were a bit premature during the season. Yeah, yeah, All right. yeah. <laughs> Let's move on to some other things. Uh, of course, uh, while we were in New Orleans last week at the NCBA convention, uh, the news broke about the, how much uh, that China was going to start buying when it came to U.S. soybeans. Of course, there were some erroneous uh, numbers out there in reports, but uh, needless to say, at least they're, again, the back in the soybean market. Right, and that's obviously a, a big win for a lot of soybean producers that were uh, really concerned about their the future of their uh, their future in that market. Because as uh, as I'm sure you've probably heard this talking point, and a lot of other folks have too. You know, 1.1 of every three rows of soybeans grown in the United States is going to China, and obviously that had fallen off during this trade dispute. And so, 
uh, you know, if and when the the Chinese market is able to get back up to up to full speed for U.S. soybean producers, that's going to be a lot of good things for for a number of people kind of across the heartland, as well as companies that were relying on, you know, farmers being able to go to the restaurants and buy lunch, and the you know the person working the uh, the rigs taking the stuff down the Mississippi, and so there's a lot of people that are really happy to see uh, increased soybean buys, even if it isn't five million metric tons a day. Right. <laughs> that would have been an astronomical number had they had they turned around and actually done that. But I don't think anybody is going to tell them to, to not buy the, the 5 million tons of their, that they're currently committed to. Right. We're going to talk more about that a little bit later with Brian Finley, CEO of the American Soybean Association. Well, last week uh, at NCBA, uh, Secretary Purdue was there. I know that uh, uh, you were intently listening to his uh, remarks, and uh, he, he talked a lot about trade, didn't he? Yeah, a lot about trade. Uh, you know, that's going to be kind of a keystone issue for this administration. And President Trump has kind of taken it, taken it head on, and you know, really changed kind of the the way that uh, that the America that, Amer- that America handles its trade policy. And so that's uh, paying some dividends. A lot of folks would argue, and uh, that he said that they were you know heartened by the way the Chinese talks had ended. And the way he put it, you know, there's nothing's final until it's really final, and it's not really final until there's enforcement mechanisms in these trade talks. And so we're not to that point yet. They say that there's going to be a further round of talks later into February, as well as President Trump potentially sitting down with uh, President Xi of China to really kind of finish this thing out. Uh, you know, there's, that could potentially happen uh, on the same trip where uh, he, uh, he may go and talk to North Korean leadership as well. But, uh, you know, who knows at this point how, how long these, uh, these trade talks are going to continue and what the eventual outcome might be. I mean, it's, we're dealing with a lot of very sensitive issues that have been kind of you know serving as undercurrents for a long time. Well, now they're getting brought to the forefront, and so with with that in mind, there's a lot of things that need to be worked out. And as Secretary Purdue said, it's not final until it's really, really final. We're talking with Spencer Chase with AgriPulse Communications. Spencer, uh, we see Secretary Purdue at a lot of different events throughout uh, the course of the year. I kind of call him uh, the uh, comforter-in-chief. I mean, he kind of goes around and uh, calms uh, these ag groups down and and, and kind of assures them that uh, it's going to work out and the president's going to get things done. Uh, That's kind of his message, and he's very good at it. Yeah, I mean, and he's he's delivered it with uh, with some ease here, and, and you know, obviously he had a, a pretty friendly audience at the Cattlemen's Convention. A lot of folks there very happy with the with the efforts of this administration. You know, obviously with some exceptions, you know, uh, withdrawing from the Trans-Pacific Partnership is is one example. But uh, he, he's he's done a pretty good job, to his credit, of going out to these conventions and you know stepping into what could potentially be hostile territory, given some of the some of the administration's actions. But saying, listen, you know, here's here's the long game that we're thinking. Here's the ultimate end goal that we're looking to pursue. And uh, if you'll if you'll bear with us here for a little while, uh, we we think we'll think we'll be able to get something turned around for you. I thought a pretty uh, upbeat crowd there at NCBA, didn't you? Yeah, that was kind of the feeling that I got. And you know, it was uh, it's it's one of those deals. And I'm sure you're seeing this as well on kind of the, the convention circuit. Uh, just got a farm bill passed in December, so there's not as much farm policy talk to do, and so sometimes that can lead to a, to a bit of an inward focus on how farmers are doing, and with the current shape of the ag economy, maybe that's not the, the best place to be looking to be cheered up, but a lot of folks see that there's, uh, that there's some, you know, some brighter days out there, and if this, the administration can get the trade issues worked out, if the farm bill can get impl- implemented here in a reasonable amount of time, which is a, a whole other conversation, you know, there, there could be some potential for, for some good times ahead in agriculture. Of course, we're watching now the clock ticking on whether or not uh, 
the administration and Congress can get something worked out uh, on the uh, border wall barrier or whatever you want to call it before another shutdown uh, comes around. Yeah, and that deadline is uh, is approaching pretty quickly. It's going to be next Friday, by which uh, the administration and Congress need to work out some sort of agreement. Uh, we we know there were talks last week. We know there was some uh, some public posturing and positioning. Uh, no real progress in terms of an ultimate solution, but sometimes you do need to uh, get in a room and everybody say where they're at before they can determine where they're going. All right, Spencer, good to see you last week. Thanks for being with us this morning. Take care. Pleasure as always, Mike. Thanks. Uh, all right, Spencer Chase with AgriPulse Communications uh, joining us here to kick things off on our uh, Monday um, Adams on Agriculture. Again, later. Iowa Senator and Chairman of the Finance Committee, Senator Grassley, will be joining us. Give us a Washington update. What does he think about averting another government shutdown? How how um, close are they to getting anything worked out? We'll get his thoughts on that and more. And also a little later, the CEO of the American Soybean Association, Ryan Finley. But next, we'll talk weather with Mike Pomerino. Stay with us. Hi, this is Mike Adams reminding you the Renewable Fuels Association's 24th Annual National Ethanol Conference is February 11th through the 13th in Orlando, Florida. Among those speaking will be former Senator Tom Daschle, American Chopper star Paul Jr., General Motors official Dan Nicholson, and the co-hosts of the Showtime political documentary series, The Circus. For more information or to register, go to www.nationalethanolconference.com. I'll be broadcasting from the conference and hope to see you there. If you don't know where to look, it's easy to miss something big. Sometimes the answers to our biggest challenges are found in the most unexpected places. The clean energy solutions we need are right in front of us. Always have been. Opportunity is everywhere if you know where to look. See the world differently. Poet. Did you know you can listen to the latest podcast of Adams on Agriculture or hear the top news and weekend review from the American Ag Network on your Amazon Alexa? Play my flash briefing. Use the Alexa app to search for the podcast you want to play. Search for Adams on Agriculture to learn about the issues affecting agriculture each weekday. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Again. Or you can search for the American Ag Network. This is the American Ag Network Week in Review. I'm Sabrina Hill. Stay up to date on agriculture with the sound of your voice on your Amazon device. Are you thinking about buying medicine online? A search for online pharmacies yields more than 20 million results. But which ones can you trust? Medicines bought from unlicensed online pharmacies can be dangerous. You may get a fake drug, your condition may get worse, or you may experience a bad reaction. Don't put your health at risk. To learn how to find an online pharmacy that's safe and legal, visit FDA.gov slash BeSafeRx. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Reason number 12 why you should own a Thermospas hot tub? They require no attachment to your home's plumbing. Thanks to the Thermospas unique built-in thermofiltration system that filters the water an incredible 144 times a day, you simply fill it with a garden hose and your water stays crystal clear with very little maintenance. Call to receive a free DVD and brochure and find out how you can own a Thermospas hot tub for only a few dollars a day. Right now, they're offering 0% APR financing with approved credit and a $1,000 savings coupon, including free delivery, free chemicals, and a cash discount. And with bottles starting at $4,995, there will never be a better time to own a Thermospas hot tub. So call now and ask about this limited time offer. 
Call Thermospas today at 800-991-5852 for your free DVD and brochure. That's 800-991-5852. Thermospas, hot tubs designed to improve your life. Call 800-991-5852 today to take advantage of 0% APR financing. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. All right, let's talk weather. Mike Palmerino, DTM meteorologist, sitting in for Bryce Anderson with us this week. And, Mike, thanks for joining us. Uh, I know there's still plenty of winter weather around, but at least it's a, a better conversation this week than a week ago. Well, it sure is, Mike. That was uh, quite an event that came up. Uh, pretty amazing that... Uh, uh, Minneapolis, for instance, they reported their their latest date for their first sub-zero temperature this year, and then, you know, within a week or so of that, they end up seeing the coldest weather they've had in about 35 years. So it was just a, an incredible wake-up call uh, in terms of the such a rapid turn to such extreme weather. But, yeah, things are backing off this week, although... Uh, the northern tier of the U.S. is going to stay cold, not extremely cold, but it's going to be cold. Meanwhile, the southern part of the U.S. is going to warm up significantly. And in between the cold air of the north and the warm air of the south, there's going to be quite a bit of uh, stormy weather to talk about. Yeah, it's amazing the turnaround in some of these temperature extremes to go from um, you know below zero to in some parts, uh, you know, 40s, 50s. Uh, I mean, that's quite a turnaround in a very short period of time. It is. It's almost kind of reminiscent of what you'd see, you know, out in the uh, Black Hills or something, some of those areas that are famous for extreme turnarounds, but you normally don't see that type of a extreme change in temperature, you know, in an area like Chicago or Des Moines. All right, you mentioned some stormy, bumpy weather this week. Uh, kind of give us a breakdown of what we could expect. Yeah, it looks like a, uh, a snow event uh, coming up for the uh, uh, northern plains and the uh, northwest corn belt. It looks like we're talking uh, about four to eight inches of snow uh, during the first part of this week. Some areas could get a little more than that. And it looks like mostly uh, with the warmer air we're talking about, it's going to be mostly a rain event across the uh, uh, southern and eastern belt, Missouri, southeast Iowa, and on through Illinois, Indiana, and Ohio. It looks like they're going to be getting some potentially uh, moderate to heavy rain on the order of about uh, a half inch to two inches. So uh, quite a, uh, a variability here with the heavy rains to the south and the uh, moderate to heavy snow to the north. Yeah, talking was a... Uh, uh last week at the National Cattlemen's Beef Association Convention, you talked with beef producers, a lot of them dealing with a lot of a lot of mud, a lot of challenging conditions, some extreme cold at times, and a lot of mud at other times, so they've had their challenges. They have. It's been a, uh, you know, a really a dramatic change, as we said. Things were so benign for the first part of winter, but yeah, it's gotten very challenging for a lot of uh, a livestock people, uh, in the uh, Midwest, but fortunately, that has not gotten down into the uh, feedlot areas in the southwestern plains. They, even though they've had some cold weather there, it's been dry, and as long as it stays dry, uh, stress is limited on the cattle. But clearly, that has not been the case uh, in the Midwest. 
Speaking of dry, I mean, we keep an eye on that drought monitor map. It certainly has changed for the better in a lot of places that were very dry much of last year. Yeah, it has. You know, we ended up uh, uh, going into winter with uh, uh, very favorable moisture conditions, you know, especially in areas like the southwestern plains. Uh, They got quite a bit of moisture this fall, and and the real dryness now has shifted back, uh, you know, pretty much into the the far southwest. So, yeah, we're looking at a, uh, you know, a winter wheat crop that's overwintering very well. They didn't get this extreme cold. And uh, they've got adequate soil moisture uh, going into uh, uh, into the spring, and you know that's clearly we're not looking at any dry pockets at this point uh, uh, in the uh, major growing areas of the central part of the country uh, as we head into the uh, spring planting season. And looking to the west, I know a lot of people in mountain areas uh, that always keep an eye on that, you know, that snowfall, those uh, you know, for the, in the mountains. And that's going to be important to them uh, later on. A lot of those areas are getting a lot of snow up in the mountains. They sure are, and it looks like uh, they're going to continue to do so. Uh, the Pacific uh, patterns look very active coming in the West Coast here over the next uh, couple of weeks. So we're just going to continue to add to that snowpack out there. And, uh, yeah, that's you know that's their lifeblood out there, and it looks... Uh, uh, very favorable here, uh, probably through the remainder of the month of February. Mike, uh, in talking with Bryce uh, the last few weeks, he has talked repeatedly about perhaps it being a late spring in the Midwest. Uh, you know, it could be uh, kind of like last year where it stayed, uh, you know, cool, wet, right uh, through, uh, you know, March and into April. Uh, are you seeing that as well, that it could be a, you know, it could be a later planting season than many in the Midwest would like to see? I would be leaning in that direction right now, Mike. You know, there's no reason to think not. You know, that that has been the prevalent pattern. And you look at where we are right now with basically adequate to surplus soil moisture, the likelihood that, you know, things are, are not going to be turning particularly dry here, uh, as we head into uh, late winter, um, yeah, you know, I think that that's where you would want to lean at this point. Uh, nothing that, you know, that is all that unusual. Uh, it's what producers have had to deal with over the last several years, and I, at this point, I don't see any reason to think otherwise. All right, let's uh, take a look down to South America. Uh, what's their weather like? Well, I, I am incredibly impressed with what's going on down in Brazil. This, uh, uh, you know, I've been doing this for a lot of years now, and I have never seen such extensive dryness in the Brazilian bean belt uh, throughout the heart of their summer growing season. You know, normally, if they're going to get any drought down there, it's usually rather limited and usually in the, in the more southern areas of Brazil. This year, uh, after a good start to the rainy season, the rains have really dropped off. And, you know, at this point, you know, we were talking about potentially about 80% of the bean belt, you know, having been affected by above-normal temperatures and below-normal rainfall uh, during the pod-filling stages of development. And, uh, you know, if anything, that may even be increasing a little bit here as southern Brazil uh, down in Rio Grande do Sul, which had been doing pretty well, is now starting to dry out, and, and that's coming 
on the heels of their upcoming uh, uh So, you know, this is a crop that continues to get smaller. I, I don't see that changing. Uh, I think we're going to finish out the month with a crop that continues to deteriorate. And, you know, Brazil's an interesting place because once you harvest the beans in central Brazil, you start planting corn, and they've got a, a big second crop corn up there. And if this rainy season does not come back in on them, you could be talking major losses to that second crop corn. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Australia having a lot of problems. They are. Uh, you know, it is summer there, so the only crops that would really be getting affected would be some of their uh, summer crops like cotton and sorghum, uh, some of which are uh, irrigated. Uh, this is not the time of the year, you know, the, the winter wheat crop's been harvested, and uh, they won't start planting there until their fall, you know, starting in uh, about in April or so. But, yeah, clearly I believe they're having one of their, if not their hottest uh, summer on record down in there. What about Europe? Uh, looks pretty good. Uh, they're, you know, in general, there's no real uh, dryness issues. We've, we've managed to come out of some of that dry weather pattern that was established uh, last year in parts of north central Europe. They had a pretty dry uh, summer into fall in areas like Germany and Poland. Uh, that's uh, improved a lot, and there's been quite a bit of storminess across the Mediterranean, so that's you know, good news in terms of those uh, crop areas down south, those winter wheat crop areas, that they should be uh, heading into uh, spring with uh, pretty favorable soil moisture. All right, Mike, thanks a lot. So, uh, again, here in the U.S., uh, we're not going to be talking anything about a polar vortex or anything like that again for a while, right? It doesn't, not anything extreme, but it clearly looks like it's it's going to stay cold, but more of what you would consider normal cold for the uh, for the Midwest for this time of the year. Nothing that's uh, as extreme as what we uh, uh, had just been dealing with. Normal cold. All right. Depending on where you're at, that can be pretty cold. All right, Mike, thanks a lot. You're welcome. DTM meteorologist Mike Pomerino sitting in this week for Bryce Anderson. All right. Again, a reminder that next week, next Tuesday and Wednesday, we will be in Orlando, Florida for the National Ethanol Conference. Lots of ethanol issues to be discussing next week, next Tuesday and Wednesday. But coming up next, our uh, Washington update with Iowa Senator Charles Grassley, chairman of the uh, Senate Finance Committee. Want to get his thoughts on uh, the trade talks with China, uh, RFS, uh, Possible another government shutdown. Is Congress going to be able to work out anything with the president over the border situation? Get his thoughts on those items and more. That's coming up next here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network.
When you went car shopping, you meant business. You ace vehicle history searches and test drives. You out salesmen to the salesman. Now you've got your wheels. If you manage that, you can get your retirement plan on track. Visiting aceyourretirement.org can help. With 401k tips and smart saving strategies, you'll have the info you need to get more for your future. Go to aceyourretirement.org because when it comes to speeding past financial challenges, you're an ace. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. For lean hog futures, feeder cattle, and live cattle, we are trending higher in early activity. The market assessing the effect on livestock weights as a result of that Arctic blast in the Midwest last week. In live cattle futures, we are 25 to 55 cents higher. Feeder cattle trending a dime to 42 better an hour into the trading day. Cash cattle sales seen on a live basis at 123 in Kansas last week. Dress deals at 197 to 199. Cash hog prices being called steady to a dollar lower to begin the trading week, but on the futures board were 17 to 57 cents higher. February lean hogs at 56.52, up 17 cents. For the grain and oil seed sector, we are trending. One to two and a fraction higher in soybean futures, but one to two and a fraction lower in wheat and corn. USDA's Foreign Ag Service reporting an export sale of 612,000 metric tons of soybeans for delivery to China this morning. That sale is for the 2018-19 marketing year. News of that sale comes on the heels of talk last week that China had committed to buying an additional 5 million tons of U.S. soybeans for its state reserves. President Trump's State of the Union speech is expected to spark some upward movement in the grains if the president talks more about the status of U.S.-Chinese trade negotiations before a March 1st deadline. March soybeans Marking out new resistance at 9.31 and a quarter last week. An hour into this Monday session, March at 9.19 and a half, up a penny and three quarters. March corn down a penny and a quarter at 3.77. Chicago wheat march down a penny and a quarter at 5.23. The Dow is down 40 points. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture, presented by the American Ag Network. I'm Rusty Halverson. We paid less for our Craftmatic today than we did 20 years ago. If you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and free information on today's Craftmatic adjustable beds. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Rated number one by consumers nationwide on ConsumerAffairs.com. Craftmatic beds come in all mattress types, including cool gel memory foam for up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Enjoy temporary relief of low back pain, poor circulation, nighttime heart for a mild arthritis. You'll sleep better in a Craftmatic adjustable bed. So if you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and information. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Discover Craftmatic for less, up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Call 1-800-318-7903. That's 1-800-318-7903. 1-800-318-7903. Call now. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. And always good to have with us uh, Iowa Senator Charles Grassley, Chairman of the Finance Committee. Good to talk with you again. Thanks for being with us. Uh, 
I'm glad to be with anybody that wants to talk to the 2% of the people in the United States that feed the other 98%, because it seems to me that 2% uh, is the most important uh, segment of our economy, because if they didn't produce the food, we're only nine months or nine years or nine meals away from a revolution. And uh, so you got to feed people to keep them happy. That's right. Well, well, let's talk about the trade talks last week with China and, of course, China buying uh, some more uh, U.S. soybeans. Uh, are you optimistic after those talks, or what are you hearing? I'm not going to be optimistic, uh, assuming that, that they announce uh, a perfect agreement yesterday. I won't be satisfied for five or six years because I have seen China so often uh, not carrying out what they said they were going to do. <clears throat> so we wait to see. Uh, the clock kind of ticks uh, to we getting to that March first deadline. Uh, yeah. Well, I, talks, I so. may sound I may sound pessimistic, but we've had some experience with China in the past. And if if we if the president said I've got a perfect agreement with them. Uh, you, he may think that, and I'm not going to find fault with the president saying that, uh, but uh, you know how China is. They don't always do what they say they're going to do. No, I agree with you. I think we tend to get uh, too far out in front of these things, overly optimistic, and we need to be more realistic on them, uh, indeed. Hey, I want to, on, as far as trade deals are concerned, what are your thoughts on getting this U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement passed in Congress? We ought to do it yesterday, but uh, there are certain timelines that we can't even start to do it now till probably uh, the end of April. And if we start the uh, end of April, it's going to start in the House of Representatives. So it's probably a problem or uh, quite a bit of time before my committee starts uh, looking at it. We could have hearings before the House operates, but uh, the point is that I think this is going to start in the House, maybe even under Trade Promotion Authority, the law requires it to start in the House, and uh, there's going to be a lot of work to satisfy the Democrats that this is a good agreement, or there may even have to be some uh, side letters or annexes, everything short of renegotiation, because we're not going to get Canada and Mexico to the table again, and the president's uh, patience might be short, and he might be threatening to pull us out of NAFTA, which I wouldn't want him to do. Uh, but uh, there's going to have to be a lot of work with the Democrats in the House to get this thing brought up and get it passed. And then you could get to a point where uh, Pelosi said, uh, would be thinking in her mind, she wouldn't actually say this, but she's not going to give the president, because President Trump, like she did on the wall, uh, just because it's a Trump idea, uh, she's not going to do it. Uh, well, this uh, renegotiation with NAFTA is a Trump idea. She may not be doing it. She'll never use that as an excuse. Uh, but we know that in regard to a wall, uh, Democrats have supported walls under three or four different presidents. So what's different now? The only difference is Trump. Sounds like a tough uh, battle ahead to me. Well, it may be a tough battle. It shouldn't be. Because uh, look at what the president has done to satisfy the unions that ought to send a signal to the Democrats that this is better than NAFTA. It would be uh, making sure that at least uh, 
60 uh, percent uh, of the uh, of the uh, parts are manufactured by people making sixteen dollars an hour instead of the three dollars an hour in Mexico. Uh, and the content would have to be 75% uh, from North American sources uh, as opposed to 60% today. That's all things that Democrats and the unions have wanted. So it ought to be able, it ought to be easy to get it uh, through, but I gave you the reasons why it might not be so easy. So are you hearing anything that there's any uh, movement by the administration to lift the uh, tariffs on steel and aluminum on Mexico and Canada? And many feel that has to be done before we can get anything done on a trade deal. I'm glad you brought that up because that's one of the things that I should have mentioned as an impediment uh, to getting it up right away. Uh, and uh, as far as I'm concerned, as well as what Democrats have said, those tariffs should go off before USMCA comes up. So we continue to wait and see if, if that happens. That may be part of the negotiating plan. We will see. We're talking with Iowa Senator Charles Grassley. Let's talk about the confirmation process for Andrew Wheeler at EPA. Renewable Fuels Groups uh, wanting to make sure, uh, you know, his kind of his feet held to the fire on how he's going to handle the RFS. Are you uh, satisfied with what you're hearing from Andrew Wheeler so far? Everything I've heard is satisfactory. It's not as definitive as I'd like, but I think his heart is in the right place. I would hope nobody uh, nobody that, uh, that uh, is for biofuels would be against him just because he can't be so definitive. You know, I mean, he could be, he could take action and then be sued in the courts. How are you going to predict that? He's just doing everything he can to hopefully keep it out of the courts. And I think that you're not going to get anybody better than Wheeler. And if you did get somebody that's better than Wheeler, uh, he probably wouldn't get any more Democrat votes. And Wheeler may not get any Democrat votes. Do you think there's any chance of reallocating those lost gallons to those exemptions, those uh, refinery exemptions that have been granted so far? He has said he's trying to work that out. He had not told us how he's going to work it out, and he didn't even say for sure that he could. But that's another example of where what he told me, I think his heart is in the right place. If he can do it, it'll be done. The biodiesel industry considers you one of their real champions. What are the chances of getting that biodiesel tax incentive, uh, especially a seven-year uh, incentive, uh, some certainty for the industry that they've been seeking for so long? We're negotiating that now, mostly with Democrats, uh, to see what can be brought up. And, and we're doing it very hastily now uh, to... Uh, to uh, see if we can get it put in this uh, shutdown bill that has to be passed by February 15th. If we don't get it on that, I'm not sure where the next opportunity is to get it up. And we're trying to get what you said for biofuel. There is some indication maybe we'll have to dial that and every other one of the 26 extenders uh, back to maybe a two-year extension of them. That would not be uh, the ideal situation uh, for the biofuel industry, and I'm still pushing for the seven-year phase-out 
but I'm not sure what we can do. So you think uh, if you can't get to seven-year, that maybe a two-year deal would be possible? Uh, Yes, but it isn't what you can work out in regard to a compromise on taxes, uh, because we're going to have to have a vehicle to attach it to, and if it's not attached to uh, the... uh, uh, the the bill that has to be passed by February the 15th, uh, then maybe the next one will come time late March or early April when we have the debt ceiling up. Well, let's talk about uh, the, uh, the upcoming deadline to get something worked out to avoid another government shutdown. How close are you, do you think, of getting a deal done? Not very close. Wow. Doesn't mean, uh, it doesn't mean that there won't be a deal. Uh, Mike, it's just the way Congress operates. And I hate to tell your listeners uh, what they already think about Congress. It just reinforces their negative feelings. But it does sometimes take something up to a midnight hour to ever get a decision made here in Congress. It's not the way it should be. I'm just saying that's the way it is. Is there any middle ground on the on the border situation? Of course there is. Will they find the middle ground? That's the big question. The middle ground ought to be somewhere between $2 billion that the Democrats have already said they're willing to give for uh, border security, $6 billion the president wants, uh, cut it in two. Uh, the the uh, Democrats have voted for walls, as I've told you, under four different three or four different presidents of both political parties there's people in congress right now that in 2013 voted for 700 miles of fencing uh and uh and uh and even 30 700 miles of it with 34 billion dollars so what's the big deal about 115 miles and five or six billion dollars uh and and everybody wants to bring justice uh to the daca kids that were brought here by their parents uh they didn't break the law their kid their parents broke the law uh they ought to be given some uh legalization and uh and that doesn't mean a path to citizenship. It could include that, but it doesn't have to include that. But give them some certainty from deportation. And so all these things could be worked out. You ought to be able to settle on something in 15 minutes instead of 15 days. Senator, always we appreciate your insight and your perspective and, and giving us uh, your thoughts and letting us know how you feel about these issues. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much, Mike. Take care. Iowa Senator Charles Grassley. Wow, some interesting things in there. Uh, His thoughts on the border situation. Are they close to getting something done right now? Not very close, he says. And the interesting, they're trying to work out that tax extender for the uh, biodiesel tax credit. It'll be part of that deal to avoid the the government shutdown and the border situation. We'll see if that gets done or not. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk uh, soybeans with the CEO of the American Soybean Association, Ryan Finlay, next here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. I'm here to tell you that your options for getting out of debt have never been better. How do I know? Because I'm Howard Dvorkin, the founder of Consolidated Credit. For nearly two decades, we've helped over 5 million people just like you. And every time we help someone, they all say the same thing. 
Why didn't I call sooner? If you owe too much money on your credit cards and you feel that you'll never be able to pay it off, don't wait. Simply pick up the phone and find out what our Freedom Quest program can do for you. Reducing your payments by up to 50% is just the beginning, but you have to take the first step. When credit card debt is the problem, we're the solution. Call Consolidated Credit now. As soon as you call, the hard part is over. Call Consolidated Credit now. 1-800-489-7204. 1-800-489-7204. That's 1-800-489-7204. 5701 Sunrise Boulevard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Licensed debt management service provider, Vermont and New York Banking Departments, Maryland 49, Oregon DM80031. All right, crew, let's get her dug. Honey, you want to give me a hand? I'm planting that tree, remember? No matter how large or small your digging project may be, no matter how urban or rural, you must always call 811 before any digging project. 811 is our national one-call number, alerting your local utility companies to come out and mark any lines they have near your dig site. You must call 811 at least two to three business days before any digging project so you can avoid hitting our essential buried utilities. This includes natural gas and petroleum pipelines, electric, communication cables, and water and sewer lines. So before you do this or this, make sure you do this. For digging projects big or small, make the call to 811. Brought to you by Common Ground Alliance. Hi, this is Mike Adams reminding you the Renewable Fuels Association's 24th Annual National Ethanol Conference is February 11th through the 13th in Orlando, Florida. Among those speaking will be former Senator Tom Daschle, American Chopper star Paul Jr., General Motors official Dan Nicholson, and the co-hosts of the Showtime political documentary series, The Circus. For more information or to register, go to www.nationalethanolconference.com. I'll be broadcasting from the conference and hope to see you there. Hi, I'm George Foreman. Do you have an idea for a new product or invention? People ask me all the time, George, how do I get my idea in front of companies? How do I get a patent? What do I do next? Do you have the same questions? I'll tell you like I'll tell them all. Call my friends at InventHelp. To get your free inventor's information, call 1-800-352-0432. That's 1-800-352-0432. I believe every inventor deserves the opportunity to step into the ring and take their best shot. Put InventHelp in your corner. What if you had a medical emergency away from home? What you need is Mobile Help, America's premier mobile medical alert system. Most systems only work at home, but with Mobile Help, you get help outside the home with coverage nationwide on one of the largest cellular networks at the press of a button. I press the button, and lo and behold, the emergency came within minutes. Mobile Help did save my life. No question about that. Call Mobile Help now for a free color brochure. We'll send you everything you need, including the base station, the patented mobile device, the waterproof pendant and wrist button. You can also add the fall button that automatically detects falls and signals help. Call today and receive a risk-free 30-day trial. There's no equipment to buy and no long-term contract. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free emergency key box with your plan purchase. Remember, mobile help keeps you safe coast to coast. Call 800-930-6137 now for your free mobile help brochure. That's 800-930-6137. Again, 800-930-6137. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. 
everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell everything's changed. I had to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. And we welcome now Ryan Finley, CEO of the American Soybean Association. Ryan, thanks for joining us. We just talked with Iowa Senator Charles Grassley. When I asked him about the biodiesel tax credit, he says it's part of a tax extenders package. They're negotiating, uh, want it to be part of this deal to avoid the government shutdown if they can work out something on the border. But he says right now, I asked him about the deal, how close they are, and they, he said not very close. So hopefully they get something worked out. Maybe the ta- that biodiesel tax credit will be part of it. We would love that. That would be great for biodiesel production. It would be great for soybean farmers across the country. And it, it's something that we're advocating for, and, and we appreciate the senator's effort in, in continuing to push that in D.C. That, that would be a big one. We, we could all use that, that uh, tax incentive right now. But he also said if it doesn't get into this package, uh, then they have to look for another vehicle, maybe a, a debt package later on, and might even have to look, instead of a seven-year tax credit, maybe a two-year. It sounds like you know everything's on the table to try to get something done. Right. It, it was, we were close at the end of last year. Close, it, 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 things wrapped up in Washington, D.C. in December. We thought we had an opportunity, and unfortunately, it, it just didn't work out. And so in the last couple of weeks, there have been discussions about, boy, could we put this tax extenders package as part of the broader funding bill? And it, from our perspective, we don't really care what the vehicle is. If we can move it forward, that would be great. I really think that seven-year is what um, the industry needs. It's what soybean farmers need. It really offers that opportunity to say, hey, there's going to be certainty going out several years, and then and, and we can grow and become more efficient, and, and that would help. And it's a phase-out over seven years. It's not full for the seven years. So I think that would be great, but, um, you know, if two years is what we can get, then, then we'll have to uh, work with that. But seven, would be, seven years would be ideal. Talking with Ryan Finley, CEO of the American Soybean Association. All right, so how excited did you get last week when you saw a report that uh, China would buy 5 million metric tons of soybeans a day? <laughs> well, it didn't take long to do math to say, wow, China's right. going to be buying a lot more than they used to buy from us. That was, it was a little excitement, but it was also recognition that somebody had a typo someplace because uh, 5 million a day is, is going to be a little unprecedented unless it was only going to last for a day, which is kind of what right. it sounded like. So 5 million a day for one day. <laughs> but at least they are still buying some. Uh, did you come away from the talks based on what you've heard, optimistic or encouraged, or how would you describe? Yeah, I'm, I'm encouraged that the conversation is still happening. And that's what, you know, we talked about that before. The, the fact that we are 
in this process where we are having a conversation, they take a break, they come back, they have a conversation, they take a break from a formal talk. I mean, they're still working. This is, this is how a negotiation happens. This is fantastic, in my opinion. What we don't want to see is there's a because there are so many difficult issues that we have to resolve that we need to make sure this happens over time. And, and that's the, the conversations that we have had and the, the individuals that want in Washington that we have spoken with that are involved in this. I think that they are really putting all of the challenges that agriculture has had with China um, on the table and saying we need to address this. It can't just be a gift of purchases of U.S. soybeans for a day or for a year. We have some underlying fundamental reform that needs to happen, and and I, I think that's good that we are addressing that because at the end of the day, we want to see the tariffs removed. That's our number one ask, but we have to have this reform. I mean, we've, we've gone through it this far. If we if we end this trade war and there's no reform, then it did nothing but hurt agriculture all around. And, and I keep coming back to this. We have to have realistic expectations through this process, don't we? I, I think there's a, some such anticipation that some big deal is going to be signed and everything's going to be solved and they're going to just keep buying more and more, more than they ever did before, and it's going to all be great and wonderful. Uh, I mean, it's one thing to hope that, but uh, realistically, it's probably not going to happen that way. Yeah, I would agree with that, Mike. I, I, will, I will be really surprised if we see... Um, an immediate return to the type of trade that we had with China before. And so I think if we are able to regain um, some of the trade that we lost, that would be beneficial. And if we can continue to sell to customers around the rest of the world and keep this diversified portfolio, I think that's, that's the best-case scenario. We definitely need to have the China market back, and, and that is key. So getting as much product back into China would be, would be great, but I, I think we do need to temper expectations that we're not going to be going back to 30 plus million metric ton um, in 2019 or maybe even 2020. But, but I will say if we can get back to a trade system that makes sense and allows us to move product to China, as well as addresses some of the reform on biotech trade approvals, on some of the other challenges when it comes to forced technology transfer that we have with China, if we can get that addressed, that would be that plus the market would be very beneficial long term. So many issues, and some of them such huge issues, just doesn't seem uh, realistic that they would all get worked out between now and say March first. I I think that um, it would be very difficult to do everything between now and then, and I think if. China were to say, yep, we'll, we'll take care of all of this stuff that you have on the list, I just don't think that's realistic at all. I mean, there's, it's a negotiation, and they're going to agree to some things and not agree to others. And I think what's really important is that whatever they agree to, that we hold their feet to the fire and say, okay, you've committed to this, and now you need to follow through with it. So I, I don't think that we can do a trust but verify in this situation. We need to be more in the mindset of prove it to us that you're going to do this. Otherwise, it's going to be like the 100-day agreement that, that was struck at the beginning when President Trump and President Xi met in Mar-a-Lago and they reached this 100-day agreement. We were going to see a bunch of biotech traits approved, and we were going to see some sales. We were going to see some other things, and none of that happened. And, and I think that's a concern that we have, that when an agreement is reached, 
that it's really an agreement that both sides are going to hold hold each other accountable to. Good point. Ryan, as always, thanks for being with us. Thanks, Mike. Take care. Ryan Finley, CEO of the American Soybean Association. Well, that's going to wrap it up for today. Tomorrow, we're going to get uh, more into that uh, the, the controversy from the Super Bowl yesterday over the uh, beer ads and uh, high fructose corn syrup. We're going to get some uh, perspective and some thoughts on that from the corn industry. That's coming up tomorrow. Hope you'll join us right here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture.